plan for you. And his plan will not be aborted. Now, I know we do abortions today, but his plan will not be aborted. Now, get this. Bethlehem is a story about a place. Micah writes about a small place that will produce great things. Bethlehem, he said, you are little among the thousands, yet out of you will come a ruler. He was not born in a city like Hollywood. He was not born in a, in a city like New York. There was probably a lot bigger cities around where he could have been born. There was probably more influential cities where he could have been born. But, he, but the plan of God was for him to be born in Bethlehem, a small place, little among the thousands. Yet out of you will come a ruler. Micah refers to it as that E-P-H-R-A-T-A-H. You can say that any way you want to. It is the ancient name of Bethlehem. It means a place of fruitfulness. Why is that important to me? Are you here this morning you feel small, insignificant? Are you here this morning you're struggling with your emotion and you feel like people have forgotten you or you were alone or there's no, that you're not important to anyone? May I say to you this morning that you're important to God? I don't care, I care how insignificant you may feel, and, and you may not have, so suppose you may not think that you have a friend in the world. I can tell you, you have a friend today, and he has not forgotten you because he takes things that are insignificant. He takes small things. Don't despise small beginnings because God can take something small and make something fruitful out of it. Notice, there, you're, you're, he can take a barren life and turn it into a fruitful life. That is his specialty. When he comes into a heart and life, he, you know, he can pick up the pieces of your life, the shambles of your life, put your life back together, and a few months and years, you can look back over your life and see where God has brought you from, and you think, my, 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 what good things God has done in my life. Something insignificant, he can make something fruitful out of it. When God chooses, it's not because someone, of someone's talents, or it's not because of their giftings, or it's not something, it's not about their achievements that moves the hand of God. In fact, when he, when he plans on doing something, he, he usually doesn't get the most handsome. He usually doesn't get the most gifted. He usually doesn't get the one that, that stands out in the crowd. Now, he has done that in the past, but that was a bad decision. If you read the story of Saul, it didn't wind up very good in his life. But, but God sometimes uses the insignificant to make something out of it for his glory. Bethlehem is a place of revelation. I want to take you back to Genesis chapter 35. And you'll read uh, of, the, of the old ancient name of Bethlehem. It's, it's the story, kind of reminds you of the Christmas story. Jacob and his wife Rachel is traveling. And they're on their way to Canaan. And Rachel is pregnant. Does that sound familiar? And uh, when she gets close to Bethlehem, she goes into labor. And she starts having problems in her labor, and the, and the midwife tells her, it's going to be difficult, but uh, you're, going, you're going to have this baby. She didn't tell her that in the process she was going to die. So here's the story of a man and a wife traveling past Bethlehem, and they, they in, re, finally reach that place, and it's time for her to give birth. Then they journeyed from Bethel, and when, and when there was but a little distance to go to the ancient name of Bethlehem. 
Rachel labored in childbirth, and she had hard labor. Verse 18 says, And so it was, as her soul was departing, for she died, that she called his name Benoni, which means son of my sorrow. But his father called him Benjamin, which means son of my right hand. It's almost like the story of, of Joseph and Mary, only these names hold some things that you and I need to get a hold of. Jesus was born in Bethlehem, and he would be despised and rejected, and he would be associated with sorrow. Some, some 1,500 years before, there's a woman having given birth to a baby who calls that baby son of my sorrow. And, in, and if you fast forward then back to the birth of Jesus at Bethlehem, there's a baby that is born that would be acquainted with sorrow. Isaiah chapter 53 and verse 3 says, He is despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. Now, what does that have to do with my Christmas message to you and I? Listen to me. He wants to turn our sorrow into a place of victory. God is acquainted. If you're here and you're going through grief and you're going through sorrow, uh, I want you to understand that you have a Savior that can identify with that. He understands what it is to, uh, for people to be, uh, to be rejected. You may be here and you may feel like you're rejected and that you're alone and you're going through all kinds of issues. I'm telling you, Jesus knows what you're going through. But he also knows that in your grief and your sorrow, he can come into your situation and turn around and make it a place of victory in your life. How is that? Because there's also that same baby that was called the son of my sorrows. His name was changed the son of my right hand. Let me fast forward the story. He was born. He lived. He died. And he rose again. And when he rose to heaven, he sits on what? The right hand side of the father. He was born. He was acquainted with grief. He was a man of sorrows. And then later on, when he rose back to heaven, he sits on the right-hand side of the Father. He was a son of my right hand. Now, what is he doing? He's making an intercession for you so that he can come into your place of sorrows. He can come into your place of grief, and he can come into there and begin to work a, a miracle in your life and turn that situation or that valley into a place of victory. That's what Bethlehem's Christmas message is all about. So if you're here today and you're wrestling with all those issues, I have good news today. He knows what you're going through, and he, if you'll hang on to him, he'll take you to a place of victory. He's praying for you. <laughs> Man, Bethlehem is a place of new beginnings. It's a place of revelation. It's a place of new beginnings. Ruth chapter 1, verse 19 said, now, if you have never read the story of Ruth, if you'll go back to the Old Testament and right after the book of Judges and just before 1 Samuel, there's a small little book called Ruth. I think it's about four chapters long. You could probably read this book in 10 minutes, maybe less. wouldn't even take you that long. You could read it probably while you're drinking the, your morning cup of coffee. But it is a powerful story about a woman who uh, has no hope. Notice what it says. Now the two of them, Naomi, her mother-in-law, and her, two of them went until they came to where? Bethlehem. Bethlehem is a place of new beginnings. You hear me this morning. The message that this town says to you, 
the story of Ruth was played out in Bethlehem. Who was she? She was a Moabite. She was the product of incest. She was outside the covenant of Israel. She had no hope. She was without God. She had no future until she met a woman named Naomi. And then when she bound herself uh, to Naomi and they went back to the place called Bethlehem. In Bethlehem, she found grace. In Bethlehem, she found a home. In Bethlehem, she found a family. And in Bethlehem, she found her future and her purpose in life. And if you read the book of Matthew, you'll find out that there's four women listed in the family tree of Jesus, and one of them is this woman called Ruth. She is the, the great-grandmother of King David, which was in the lineage of Christ. But it was here in Bethlehem where, where she found her future. Don't stop with half the story about Bethlehem because Bethlehem is a place of revelation, and it's also a place of new beginnings. You can read of her. Listen, he, God turned her life around in a little place called Bethlehem. If you're here and you feel like you have no hope, that you have no future, that you can't get over your past, I'm telling you that the message of Bethlehem this morning is that God can take care of your past and He can give you a future. That's the message of Christmas. Huh. Yesterday is behind us. All its mistakes, all of the disappointments are history. And today we can have a new beginning with a new birth because that's what Bethlehem is all about. Bethlehem was known as the city of David. Not by chance Jesus was born there. In Bethlehem is where Samuel went trying to find a new king for Israel. And after going through all of the sons of Jesse, they finally said, is this all the sons you have? Most of you know the story. And they sent for these. They said, I have one that's out there in the fields. He's watching the sheep. And Samuel, of course, says, go get him. And, and the rest of the story is history. But it was in Bethlehem where he was anointed king of Israel. I'm telling you that it's not by an accident that the, the king of the Jews was born in the city of David. And he was anointed there. He wasn't anointed like David, but he was born king of the Jews. What better place for a king to be born than in Bethlehem. Bethlehem was known as a place where they raised sheep to be used in temple sacrifices. Now, what better place for the Lamb of God to be born than in the place where the sheep for the temple sacrifices was raised? The angel who appeared to the shepherds out on the hillside, these were special shepherds. And I found from studying and research these were shepherds that took care of the, of the sheep that was destined to be sacrificed in the temple. And so when the angel appeared to them, <clears throat> said, you will find the baby. In fact, Micah chapter 4 tells them, you'll find him at, at the base of the tower uh, and gives the name of the tower. When we think of Jesus being born in a smelly stable, I, I realize that's part, and we say that, and that's part of the the history of Christmas, but that's not necessarily true in Jesus' case because the place where the sheep was born uh, to be used in, in temple rituals was, was absolutely clean. Why? Because the lambs that was to be used in, in temple sacrifices 
was to be clean. They were to be without blemish. And so when, he, when the angels appeared to them and told them, I want you to go and you will find the babe uh, wrapped in swaddling clothes uh, and being put in a manger, they knew exactly where to go look. And it wasn't in some smelly stable because they had been there when the lambs would be, would be born uh, because they, didn't, they were supposed to be without blemish, the first things the shepherds would do would, bind, would be bind them with rags so that they couldn't move and bruise themselves. Because if they bruised themselves, they'd have a blemish and couldn't be used in temple sacrifices. Every morning, every night, sacrifices, uh, the temple ritual would start with a sacrifice of a lamb of a morning and a sacrifice of a lamb at night. And then during Passover, thousands of lambs would be slain during Passover week. But, but they, could not be, they could not have a blemish. So when they would, lamb would be, uh, lamb, they, the shepherds would take it and bind it. Does that sound familiar? Jesus, you will find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, rags around his legs. In fact, it, they, they felt like in those days if they wrapped the baby in rags uh, where he couldn't move his legs and the legs would be born with straight and strong. So here's, here's the sacrifice. Wrapped in, in swaddling clothes so he, they can't move because he's not supposed to bruise himself. Why? Because he's going to be the sacrificial lamb. Some 33 years later, he's going to be the lamb who goes in and dies for our sins. What better place for the lamb of God to be born than in Bethlehem? He said, you're going to find him wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. Bethlehem means house of bread. He was put in a trough. You know what? Now, for us country folks, you know what a trough is? You know what you put in troughs? Food. You put food in troughs. Now, I used to slop the pigs, and I'd put their stuff in a trough. But that's what you do in a stable. You put food in troughs. Bethlehem means house of bread. What's bread? Food. Bread is the most common, is the most common source of food that we have. The Mexican makes tortillas, flour or corn, flat biscuits. Okies have biscuits. Light bread for city folks. You know, bread is the most common food known to man. If, if, we don't have, if you don't have anything, you can usually come up with a piece of bread. Why am I saying all of that? Because Bethlehem means house of bread. Notice what John chapter 6 and verse 35 says. And Jesus said to them, I am what? The bread of life. He who comes to me shall never hunger. What are you talking about? I don't, I don't understand all that. What do you mean? I eat and I get hungry again. I eat and I get hungry again. But I, he's talking about a spiritual application. He's talking about something that will satisfy the inner longings of a person's life. I have been there without God, and there was something in me that I was searching for. And the world searches for things that will satisfy in money and stuff and things, and they keep searching, and once they get it, it still does not satisfy them. So he is not talking about stuff, and he's not talking about things. He's talking about the spiritual itch in our life that will cause us to be satisfied no matter if we have much or no matter if we have little. I am the bread of life. Only a relationship with Christ will satisfy the human spirit. How, how can I relate that to you? 
Luke chapter 15 and verse 17 is the greatest example of what I'm talking about. Some of you here this morning may be prodigal. You may be away from the Father. And you're searching and chasing after all of those things that you think will satisfy you. Okay, will, will you listen to someone who's, been, who's done things that, that you have been doing and, and, and uh, things that he should not have been doing? Will you listen to a testimony about a person who finally comes to his senses? In fact, that's exactly what the Scripture says. But when he came to himself, talking about the prodigal son, which means that he was out of his mind, the enemy will cause you to think all kinds of stuff. But when the prodigal came to his senses, you know what he found out? He said, how many of my father's hard servants have bread enough and to spare? And I perish with hunger. I want to tell you, if you're seeking for things in this life and this world that you think is going to satisfy, and you think if I can, you've got that bar up there, if I can get that right person, get that right man, if I can get that right woman, if I can get that, that job, or if I can get... You know, that, that is a certain amount of money. If, if that's all you are looking for and you are thinking that's going to satisfy you, can I tell you that you are in deception? That is not going to satisfy you because people, multimillionaires, still commit suicide. People who have everything to live for have nothing to live on. They're empty inside. Why? They need the bread of life. Manna sustained Israel for 40 years. They got a miracle. Every morning, they would go out their tent door and manna was all over the ground. Manna means whatness. They didn't know what it was. But they knew if they gathered it, fixed it, it was food. Jesus said, I'm the manna that came from heaven. Now listen to me. They had to gather it. They had to gather it. What am I saying? You're going to have to respond to God. God knocks on your door. He knocks on your heart door. But you have to, you have to, you have to receive God. You have to gather it. And then after that, it has to become a part of you. You eat it. It has to become a part of your life. Not just, not just carried around. Uh, underneath your arm or bring it to church or put it on the nightstand at the end of your bed or whatever. It has to become a part of your life. Bethlehem means house of bread. Let's pray. Father, in the name of Jesus, we ask you to do a special work today. I want my elders to come. I want to begin to Minister and begin to serve communion. Communion is a special time before the Lord. In this cup, there's going to be two parts of this cup. First part, the first lid you're going to pull off, there'll be a little wafer, a little piece of bread that represents his body, which was broken for you. Bread of life. It's a special memorial service where we, where we remember what God has done for us. You fellas go ahead and begin to serve and
minister communion to the folks. I want you to, as you receive the cup and the wafer, I want you to, you can open it and get it prepared if you want to. But we're all going to take it together in just a moment. But I want you to take time to reflect on your relationship with God. If you're here and you don't know Christ as your Savior, and you want to receive communion today, it'd be it's so easy. If you'll just ask God to forgive you for your sins, come into your life. It will be so far more important to you. If you're here and you're prodigal, you're away from the Father, and you just need to get some things under the blood before we take communion. We're, just get some things under the blood. Will you do that? Open your heart up before God. Allow Him to minister to you. Forgiveness. which was broken for you by his stripes we are healed his body was broken having trouble go ahead and try to open yours if you can open it just hold it sometimes we have trouble if you're having trouble opening one we'll get another one to you if we have overlooked anybody uh, raise your hand and we'll get communion to you
have your neighbor help you if you can't get it off. have the same problem raise your hand over here over here you get some more over there if you're having trouble it's okay <clears throat> these 21st century cups sometimes will not help us can you imagine being there in the upper room tonight at the Passover Jesus took bread and he passed it around the table and he said this is my body which is broken for you they they didn't even know they don't have the, they didn't have the revelation that you and I have that his body was broken for us for the healing of our diseases his blood was shed for the forgiveness of our sins if you're here and you're sick today I want you to take this in faith and let a miracle be worked in your life. Will you do that? If you're here and you are prodigal and you need to take care of the sin question, don't take this cup and this bread until you take care of the sin question in your life. Will you not? Okay? And the same night he was betrayed, he took bread and said, This is my body which is broken for you. And he gave thanks. Brad, will you pray over the bread? Take of the bread. Go ahead. After the same manner, he took the cup. Now remember, this is the new covenant in my blood. He was making it a new covenant, and he was sealing it with his own blood. A covenant has promises. Forgiveness of sin. When we drink this, remember what the blood represents. Okay, Dennis, will you pray over the cup? Go ahead and take of the cup. Oh, Father God, I bless you today. 
Mike and I should do a little town of Bethlehem again. Do that old little town of Bethlehem. Oh, come all you faithful. You're the one you did. Just The scripture says in one of the gospels that before they left, they all sang a hymn. So at this Christmas season, let's sing about Bethlehem again, okay? Bethlehem. 